scripture reading this morning is found in Hebrews 5, 1 through 10 on page 1003 in the Pew Bible. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word that you've spoken to us. And uh, we just lift up Scott and as he comes up here to proclaim uh, what you would have us to hear. Open our hearts and our minds to your truth that we would receive and just drink in what you would have us to know concerning Christ. Father, we pray that you be glorified in everything said and done this morning. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of God for the people of God. I was about 10 years old. We were on vacation in Florida, and we went and saw one of the greatest movies ever, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Changed my life. There was a a scene towards the end, you'll remember, where uh, the rival archaeologist, Belloc, is dressed in priestly regalia as they are preparing to open the ark. And even my young self said, This is not going to go well. He is not of the tribe of Levi. I don't think he's even Jewish. He's working with Nazis. You can't just put on the robes of a priest and pretend to be a priest. A priest is one who is appointed by the right family, the right tribe. I learned that, and I thought to myself, I wanted to say, like Indiana Jones earlier in the movie said to the CIA man, didn't you guys go to Sunday school? So I learned what a priest was. And so when, when uh, the writer of Hebrews is addressing um, people to say Christ is our great high priest, he knows that there's a big hurdle that has to be overcome. It is that priests are chosen from a particular tribe that has been appointed by God. God had said the Levites would serve in the temple, that the Aaron and the sons of Aaron would serve as priests. 
You, you didn't get up and go to your guidance counselor and say, you know what, I really like playing with um, lamb entrails and I like incense. I'm pretty good with people. What should I do? And they go, oh, I've got a job for you. You can be a priest. No, you, if you were of this family, you were a priest. And if you were a priest, you were of this family. And here's the thing, Christ Jesus is not of the tribe of Levi. He's a son of David. David is of the tribe of Judah. There's all this prophecy of the, tri- the lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the son of David who is of the tribe of Judah. And so throughout biblical history, no one who served as a priest could also serve as a king because the kings were of this tribe, the priests were of another. And so there is a, um, a thing that the, the writer of Hebrews is having to show how Jesus could be one who didn't just say, hey, let me put on the dress of a priest and pretend the role, that he truly had the authority of the one who was appointed. And so we're going to be looking at this, and he's going to be um, um, showing us this appointment and the connection with an Old Testament figure named Melchizedek. Melchizedek was um, a a character that met Abraham in in just a few verses in Genesis. And this just really strange passage where this priest named Melchizedek meets him. And there's nothing else said until there's a psalm that David has, 110, that is quoted by the writer of Hebrews, um, that you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And this is something the writer of Hebrews is going to unpack and we're going to get into. And it's a a fascinating way that it shows that even in the earliest history, things were looking towards the Messiah. So he has to be appointed, but, but he has to be appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. A priest is a mediator going to represent the people as he offers a sacrifice on behalf of the people. He's one who's representing everyone as they go, kind of the way our um, senator goes and represents us and and makes decisions representing all of us, that that he goes and, and there's a priest who's representing us before God as he's praying, as he offers the sacrifices on behalf of the people. And therefore, the person has to be appointed, not just appointed, but, but appointed from among the people, that he's one of them. And so he knows their life. He knows their language. He knows their culture. He knows them. He knows their weaknesses. He knows their temptations. He knows... Um, as it says here, their ignorance, maybe unknowing might be a better way to say that because it takes away the kind of the elementary school uh, um, insult factor of ignorance, but it's just saying that there's, there's a lack of knowledge and a waywardness that the priest knows. And, and so this is connecting us back to what was said earlier that Christ is like us in every way except for sin, that he was tempted in every way, yet he never gave in to that sin. So Christ being appointed is appointed as who was fully human, who was one of us, who knows what it is to struggle, to be weak, to be hungry, to be tired, to be frustrated, to deal with 
annoying people, to deal with family dynamics, to deal with um, the emotions that we deal with, to know the frustration, testing of patience, all these things. He knows our weakness, and yet he never sinned. And so a contrast is drawn here that a, a priest goes and he offers sin on behalf of the sin of the people he knows, and he understands their weakness. He understands their problems because he's one of them. He lives out and knows this. And so most priests, all priests except for Christ, when they offer the sacrifice, they offer a sacrifice for their own sin as well as the sins of the people. So they are identifying with the people. They're connected with the people because that, that offering He's part of it. He's representing his sin as well as the people's. So he has to offer no, Christ has to offer um, no sacrifice, but he so identifies with us that he is from among us and so identifies that rather than offering on behalf of his sin, he offers his very self for our sin. He has appointed, knowing our weakness, knowing our ignorance, knowing our waywardness, and he was, so verse 5, he was, did not exalt himself. So back to the, the appointment. So appointed from among us, fully human, fully knowing what life is with us, appointed him, and he, he reminds us that the one who said in Psalm 2, the psalm that we sang, the psalm that said, today um, uh, you are my son, today I have begotten you. This is a verse that had been already quoted earlier in Hebrews when he's telling us that Christ is greater than any angel. There's, now as he's talking about Christ being greater of a priesthood, it's the reminder that the same one who said this, in this messianic psalm that's talking about the one who's going to rule and govern is the same one in verse 6. He says also in another place, um, which is Psalm 110. And just as an aside, if you ever have trouble remembering what Scripture, just note the Hebrews author didn't say Psalm 110. He just said, there's another Psalm that says this. Today, um, you are a priest forever of the order of Melchizedek. In other words, the one who said, you are my son, has said to the same Messiah, the same person, you are a priest forever, but referencing Melchizedek. That's a different order than the order of Aaron. And he said that he is a priest, meaning God himself, the same God who appointed Aaron to be priest, has also appointed his son to be priest. Jesus has the authority to represent us. He has been appointed. He has been appointed from among us. And so this is what he does in verse 7. In the days of his flesh, this is no mythical person. This is no kind of just spiritual ideal. This is a real man who lived in the flesh and fulfilled this work of a priest in the flesh in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. 
the one who goes to make sacrifice, offers up his prayers, offers up his supplication in tears and loud cries. What did he cry? When did he shed tears? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For our sin, he endured the pain of the cross. And he cried out in a loud voice, it is finished, it's completed. He cried out, why have you forsaken me? What did he cry out before that? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. In other words, they're ignorant. They don't know. They're not aware. Forgive them. This is his prayers and supplications for us. When we realize that, that we are straying from God, when we realize that we, we don't know him as we all, we're not as self-aware as we ought to be, that we see one crying out for us saying they don't know what they do. Forgive them. His prayer was forgive. What did he cry out? What tears were shed in the garden of Gethsemane before he endured the suffering of the cross, when he chose to go to the cross, when he was allowed himself to be handed over rather than fleeing? He's in the garden and he's crying, Father, take this cup from me. And he's shedding tears and he's sweating as his blood. He knows what pain is coming and What does he pray? Not my will, but yours. Not my will, but thine. He submits his will to the will of the Father. He goes to the cross and he suffers. And in doing so, he makes the sacrifice of a priest. He offers his prayers and supplications and loud cries and tears to the one who is able to save him from death. And he was heard. And we would say he wasn't delivered from death. How was he heard? He was heard because his prayer was for your forgiveness, for my atonement, to be reconciled to God. The one who was able to save him didn't save him so that we could be saved. Although he was son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So, I've had a little bit more coffee than the early service. I hope you're all caffeinated because we're going to get into a bit of theology. Christ is fully human as well as fully God. He is fully God, but he's also fully human. We don't always think about what that means. We, we know that means he had a body, that he really died. But do you realize that also means he had a human spirit, a human soul? He had human emotions? In other words, all that you are inwardly, he also had human soul, human spirit. He wasn't God putting on skin and pretending to be a person. He was fully human. And most of who we are as people, as humans, can't be seen. Most of who you are isn't displayed in the flesh. Most of who you are is your internal life of your soul. And it is fully human. And God has entered into that and taken it upon himself. And one part of being fully human 
is we all have our wills, as anyone with a two-year-old has discovered. That means Jesus had a human will. Now, he had a fully divine will, but he had another human will that was taken on himself, which means when he says, not my will but thine, it's not like God is going through the motions and pretending to be scared and pretending to suffer or that he kind of has one foot in humanity and one foot in divinity, and so he's kind of got a little bit of help that with things, but that his full humanity submits his will in obedience to the will of the Father. In other words, it would be just as difficult for him as, as us to say, I will suffer that. It was it's just as much a human will that is tempted as we are and doesn't give in to that temptation. I think there's often times that we kind of think, well, well, Jesus obviously could do what we couldn't because, you know, he kind of had some help. And it is true. I mean, it's fully divine. He, he had the Spirit with him. He, but, but yet we can't say that it wasn't truly a human will that submitted. And, and because of that, he shows us a perfect example of obedience, and because of that, he is able to learn obedience. He was never disobedient. It wasn't like he had to learn how to do it because he never did it. He, he learned obedience because he had a will that would submit to the other. Let me just give two thoughts with that. To say Jesus learned obedience doesn't mean he, you know, wasn't doing a good job and he had to, you know, get punished or something. What it means is he had to go through it in full humanity to learn it. There, there's different ways we can talk about learning. In, in one way, I could say I know how to play the organ. I know there's a lot of keys up here. I could, if I think about it, tell you what note those keys are. I know you pull those things. Clifton showed me what they do. And, and I understand music. And if you give me about five minutes, I can tell you what notes are on the page. And I understand you push those. So in one sense, I know how to play. You would not want me any, anywhere near me, just me playing on that thing, because I don't know how to play the organ. My muscles can't move. They're not coordinated. I haven't learned it. It's like trying to learn to ride a bicycle from reading a book. You're not going to do it. You have to fall. You have to experience it. You have to, you have to do it. And so there's a sense in which God knows everything, but obedience can only be learned as he experiences it, as his will submits, as he does it, can he truly learn it. Another way to think about this is if you obey because you agree, you've never really obeyed. It's only when I disagree, but I still do it, that I've obeyed because that's what learning obedience. And so when the will submits, he has learned obedience. And through that, made perfect. Not that God the Son is never not perfect, but he has made complete and whole, having fulfilled his mission and offered his prayer and now become a source of salvation to all who obey him. Jesus is our Savior. He is the source of eternal life. That means he's more than a teacher. 
It means he's more than an example, but he's never less than a teacher, and he's never less than an example, for he shows us what obedience to God is. He shows us what submitting the will to the Father looks like, and he is the example of the perfect human. And so as we trust in him, we, we don't just trust facts about him, but we trust his life to display to us a life that is pleasing to God. And we trust in him and display that trust by obedience. And a faith that is a faith that perseveres and a faith that obeys. It's not that that, that, that obedience earns anything, but it's a faith that clings to one in obedience for those of you, for those of us who are trusting in obedience, he is the source of eternal salvation because of his prayers and his supplication and his sacrifice. If you're here this morning and you kind of think at times that he's, um, um, Jesus died for good people or Jesus died for people who try a little bit harder than I do. I, I'm a little bit unknowing and I'm ignorant and, and I'm, I'm very wayward you have a high priest who knows your weaknesses. He knows your temptations, and he goes to represent sinners like us, not good people. He goes on behalf of us and represents us and knows us, but he goes on behalf of real sinners who need real forgiveness, and he offered himself for that. And for those of us who are trusting that, that trust has to be a trust that leads us to obedience. And I think there's, we, we can't kind of say, you know, um, of course Jesus did everything right. He's the son of God. We have to look at him and realize that our will has been renewed by that same spirit that was in him and should lead us to an obedience that we see displayed in him who learned obedience. Now unto him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine, be honor and glory and power forever. Amen. Would you please stand and let us say what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed. <laughs>